0: Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Oh, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake and welcome to Eastlake Online. For those of you watching online or on the live stream or on replay, we're so glad that you are participating with us. Welcome to those of you in person as well. Thanks for making it out this morning. We are on part three of our Advent series. It's a series we do kind of every year, but uh, the Advent story has different areas of focus and different perspectives. And so uh, that's what uh, we're doing, a different one this year. So that's why we, we continue to do it. Advent is a season of time. It's on the church calendar. It's basically the church's way of saying, you know, okay, um, Imagine that there was a time in your life where you felt like God was actively at work in your life and that his blessing was upon your life. Uh, And then you go through a long period of season where you're like there's his absence is the most thing that's felt Um, or like uh, he's he's silent or it feels like there's nobody on the other end of the line. Essentially what the church has said is that that that's what the Old Testament, you read through the Old Testament, that's what it feels like. Here's God at work in the nation of Israel in very clear ways. At one point, uh, leading the people out of Israel or out of Egypt and into Israel, uh, showing up in, in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day to guide them through. I mean, that's as visible as it gets. So there's no question for this people group uh, that God was actively taking a role in, in participating with their lives. Um, and then they get into Israel. Then there's all kinds of stuff, and then they find their way into exile and coming back. And then there's all of a sudden just like silence. There's like nothingness, uh, and there's there's uh, God doesn't seem to be in, interested in being involved at all. And there's a 400 year period of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so the the Advent series or the Advent kind of time of of the year for us is the church's way, capital C Church, not this church, but the capital C Church's way of saying, let's role play this thing. Let's get involved in this. Let's, let's, Let's imagine what it would feel like to have God's blessing for a long time and then to have an experience's absence for just as long, if not longer, uh, and, and what do we do with that? Which is really, really great. It's a good um, sort of scenario. Even though we hate role-playing stuff, you know, your boss at work says, hey, we're going to role-play this. And you're like, I need a time machine to go back two weeks and put my two weeks in because I do not want to be a part of this. Um, uh, but uh, it, it's a it, it's for us, it's, it's, it's going through the motions of this thing. It's, it's kind of saying, okay, uh, maybe p- perhaps on a personal level, this, is, this resonates because there has been a period of your life where you could point back to and say, back in my 20s, back in my 30s, or back when I lived there, or back when I went to that church, or back when I was uh, married, or back when I was just recently divorced, or back when I was in some other season, it was very, very clear to you uh, that God took an active role in your life and that you felt blessed by him, or um, you felt like you were in good with God. And then perhaps there's been a period of absence. There's, It's not like anti-God. It's just like there's just nothingness. And even when you pray because you're a good person and you pray and you do your thing, it feels like I'm sort of like talking to the ceiling or it feels like I'm sending emails into the ether and I'm not getting any sort of response in return. And so if that's kind of what the last season for you has felt like in your life, then Advent It takes on an extra special meaning. We do this because uh, the church calendar kind of leads us into this. But uh, if if the spiritual drought, if it feels like it's sort of a desert for you, then this is gonna be really, I think a really helpful series. And hopefully if you've missed the first two parts of this, you can go back and listen to uh, all of it as we lead up to it. The word Advent uh, simply means uh, the coming or arrival of something um, or the anticipating the arrival. Or uh, we've said in the series a lot of times, watching and waiting, watching and waiting that the nation of Israel spent a good deal of their time watching and waiting, 400 years of watching and waiting for God to once again do something. And so we, for a season, for about four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day, spend some time together watching and waiting and watching and waiting and, uh, and hoping, really. That's another one that's kind of added onto this. And it fits at Christmas because we love watching and waiting for Christmas. I mean, that's part of the appeal of this holiday is all of the days leading up to this day that are like exciting about it? Like it starts immediately after Thanksgiving. That we're like, it's the Christmas holidays, and you know, it's it's a fun twenty-five days or, or whatever leading up to this thing. And the countdown's always on. We're always we're always updated with how many shopping days are left. Uh, this week in your email inbox, you are going to see. Multiple emails that say, you know, uh, something along the lines of three more days of guaranteed arrival by Christmas, two more days of free shipping, last day of our annual Christmas clearance sale, two more services at Eastlake before the end of the year, three or five o'clock on Christmas Eve, like spam like that. You know what I mean? Advertisements, um, cheap ways of getting in an excuse to send you an email um, that fits in the subject line, a a sort of thing. And so uh, the countdowns always been a part of it. You buy advent calendars that count down things for you. And the church has said, all right, we're gonna practice that. We're gonna do that. And there's gonna be some texts that we're gonna use that are gonna help us, guide us along in the process. And the texts that the church has typically chosen for Advent come from one of two categories, one being forward-looking texts from the Old Testament anticipating something new, text a lot of times from the Old Testament prophets saying, God, where are you? What's happening? Why have you forgotten? Surely you won't forget us forever. Maybe this will happen. Maybe, you know, I'm predicting the fall of Babylon, the fall of Assyria, the fall of all of these people who have caused us this pain and the restoration of the nation of Israel. And so anticipating something, forward looking in that way. Uh, And then also backwards looking. We've said that uh, a big chunk of the Advent texts are uh, Matthew or Luke looking back on the birth stories of Jesus. We said that um, that there are four gospels that make up the first four books in the New Testament. They contain pretty much everything that we know and, and, and believe about who Jesus was, where he went, what he did. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the unique thing about the story of Christmas is that Mark and John have no birth narratives. They start when Jesus is an adult. They don't really care about his birth for whatever reason, but Matthew and Luke both do. And yet they take two unique approaches to this story. Uh, it's two unique ways of looking at this thing in, in the same way as if I said, Have you, did you go see the new Avatar movie? And you and your friend both went, or you and your spouse both went, and I said, tell me about it. And one person focuses on the graphics, and they're incredible. The other one focuses on the storyline, and it's terrible. So it's like it's both. It, it, did they both go see the same movie? Sure, but they had different perspectives when they saw it. Matthew and Luke both give us perspectives and stories about the teach or the of the birth of Jesus, but from different angles in different ways. Um, to kind of boil it down on a on, on a on a kind of easy way of thinking through it, Matthew focuses on it from Joseph's side of the story. As uh, from the Jewish sort of thing. And then uh, Luke focuses on Mary's perspective and oftentimes more for a general audience whereas as Matthew's is like, this is for a Jewish audience who are trying to you know, figure out who Jesus was. And then Luke's is very, this is for anybody that's broken, poor um, and, and in need of a savior. And so um, we've decided for this series that we're gonna focus on Luke's perspective um, and on Christmas Eve, if you show up at 3 and 5, commercial one more time, uh, there is going to be a child. I'm going to stand up in front of you. My wife's going to be up here. She's going to read a story to your kids, probably from the Jesus Storybook Bible about Luke chapter 2. Then we're going to give them sugar, and we're going to have them go send, sit back down with you. And then I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes, and I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2, which is the familiar text, the story, the one that's on all the Christmas cards, the one that you expect me to read on Christmas Eve. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And there's gonna be a star and there's gonna be animals and there's gonna be still no room at the end. The story doesn't change, guys. It's the same story every year. I don't even know why you keep coming back. Uh, it's, and it's all familiar and it's all there. But what we said for this series was Luke doesn't start with that. Luke, in his attempt to tell us a story, goes back one step further. It's almost as if he's saying if you want to truly understand the importance of Luke chapter two and star and the angel and the, and the angel singing and, and the shepherds and all that kind of stuff, there's a little pre-story or a preamble that you need to take into account, something that goes on before this. Um, and Luke chapter one is in a very long chapter with lots of different characters. Uh, and so we said, for, for me, for you, this season, in this season of Advent, I want to really try and understand chapter one. So that it speaks to the fullness of the understanding of what he's trying to tell me in Luke chapter 2. So Luke, what do I need to know about the birth story of Jesus? What do I need to know about, uh, uh, what, what are you trying to say to, to, to kind of get us to who, what your version of who Jesus was and what he meant to the world plays out to be? And Luke is like, I'm so glad you asked because it's, it starts a long time ago with a priest named Zachariah, which is immediately we would say... I think you mean Joseph and Mary, right? And he'd be like, no, no, before that, before that, before that. And in Luke chapter one, he begins his very first thing by saying, listen, I, he's right, it seems like he's writing to a friend. Dear Theophilus, I'm, I'm writing a, an account of the life and the teaching of Jesus. I, and I wanted, I've, there's a lot of rumors going around. There's a lot of things swirling about who he was and what he stood for. I want you to know, I sat down and tried to write a, an orderly account. I did in interviews with people. I've done some research. He was a doctor. We know this. He had the education to be able to write these sorts of things and probably the resources to be able to go and conduct these interviews and make these travels to hear these stories and do things. Here's what he says I want you to know about the person of Jesus. And he starts with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so that's where we started in week one of this series. Um, we said that uh, uh, Zechariah was a priest, um, that he had been selected to offer um, some annual sacrifices in the temple, which is a big deal. Um, him and his wife were old, uh, and uh, yet they were upright. He, he, makes, he makes a clear mention to say, uh, they're, they're really, really good people. They're all the people that you would think um, are, are just genuinely good people. So it's like the if, if you have a category in your life of good old, maybe you have a neighbor, you're like, that's just a good old person, right? They're like, have lived a great life, they're doing great, uh, and, uh, and, and, all, and you're just keeping an eye on them at Christmas and making sure they're scraping the sidewalks for them, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that's the category of people that they fit. And it said, he specifically mentions they, they're barren. They're unable to have children, and it was seemingly a big deal for them. It was like a public shame, sort of, we wanted to have kids, but we couldn't. Um, and so that's, that's the story that we know about them. Uh, and then in, in the very first part of the chapter, he says that there's an angelic appearance. He brings in this supernatural thing. Immediately as he's telling this story, he doesn't waste any time with like, uh, just like naturalistic sort of explanation of events. There's an angel right away, which immediately in the story goes, oh, it's one of those stories. Okay, an angel appears. Uh, and he goes uh, in in, in the middle of the Holy of Holies where uh, in the middle of the temple where uh, Zechariah is is presenting the sacrifice and he says, don't be afraid, right? And he says, I have a message for you. I have great news. Uh, God is at work and he's gonna work through you and you're gonna have a child. God is doing something. He is stepping out of his silence and your son is gonna play a part in this. And Zechariah's like, I don't have a son. And he's like, I know, good news. Interpret this this way. You're gonna have a son. And Zachariah's response is critical, it's key. It's, it's, it's the response you'd have if you were a good old person. They're like, that sounds great, except, you know, I'm old, she's old. We're like, that's not in the cards for us, seemingly so. Uh, and so his, his first response is one of doubt and questioning the, the, rea- the realistic nature of what is being presented to him. And the way that the story goes, Luke says that the angel says, because of your doubt, you will now leave this room, and when you leave, you'll be deaf and mute. You won't be able to hear or speak uh, these things, but you're going to name your kid John, just so you know, and God is going to continue to do it. God's going to do it regardless of you, so that's not a question of, of this. It's just a matter of, you know, because of this, this is going to happen to you. So we said uh, after that story in week one, uh, Mary enters the scene. Mary is introduced as Elizabeth's cousin. She's also pregnant. Elizabeth finds out about her pregnancy. They're both pregnant at the same time, which when when women find out that their best friend is pregnant at the same time, you know those fireworks? Yeah, they go up and it's like, oh my gosh, are you feeling this? I'm feeling this. Do you crave pickles? I crave pickles, right? All this kind of stuff. Uh, So that's what's probably taking place. An angel appears to Mary's uh, scene as well. So immediately we're drawn to this, this contrast. What Luke is trying to do in presenting his story is present us with exhibit A and exhibit B. Do you remember growing up, uh, those magazines, guidepost magazines, or maybe it was a different one for you, where it'd be like, here's a picture and here's another picture. There's 12 things different from this picture than from this picture. Are you smart enough to figure them out? And you're like, I can get four. I know where I'm at, uh, You know, and and your sister always got more. Anyways, that's that's the scene in, in which this is taking place. Luke is saying, there's gonna be two births. There's gonna be angels involved in both of these things. But notice the discrepancies between exhibit A and exhibit B. An angel appears to both, uh, they're they're both like, don't be afraid, here we go. You're going to have a baby, right? Um, But in this scenario, uh, Mary is a nobody. Mary, whereas Zachariah's angelic announcement takes place in the temple in Jerusalem, Mary's takes place in Nazareth like a, no, a, a nobody town. Later on, when people would c- kind of hear about Jesus' ministry, they would say something like, Naz- who, what good comes from Nazareth? This is a backwater city. They didn't even have indoor plumbing, right? So this is, uh, none of them did. Anyways, uh, this would be their way of, ju- uh, of casting some sort of a judgment on this thing, right? So we're talking about a somebody, a really good old person that people know about versus a nobody. That's the first like clear distinction between these two stories. Then you've got a barren couple, that's terrible, and they're really old, it's probably not gonna happen. And then a virgin couple, and we wouldn't say the odds are against her. We would say there are no odds in this. This does not happen, right? The odds are not great here, but we've probably maybe heard of somebody who's like, wow, they were pretty old, but they still had a baby. That's crazy, right? We've never heard this. If people go, if people said to you, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm barren, but I'm having a kid, you'd say, congratulations, so happy for you. And if somebody came to you and said, I'm a virgin, I'm having a kid, you'd be like, okay, uh uh-huh. Sure, right? So that's the difference between these two things. Uh, That's what's happening. Um, And then the response, look at the response of the two different individuals. Zachariah's response was, I just don't see how this is gonna happen. I mean, can something like this actually happen? And Mary's response was was not of doubt. It was one of, why would God wanna use somebody like me? Surely he has better options than me. It doesn't even make sense like I'm not doubting that he could do it I just I just I just don't think that he would Want to use me? Like I, I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding that. So where we left off last week is that the angel assures Mary. No, he does want to use you. It's going to be your child. It's going to be the savior of the world. It's going to be really, really hard. There's going to be some divisive things. There's going to be, it's going to be painful for you to watch him do what he's called to do. But God is doing a, a great work, and He wants to use your son in the process. And at the end of the pronouncement of that, then the two women meet up, and there's like, a, I can't believe we're both pregnant, and my, my, the, the baby in my uh, stomach is, is kicking. He's so excited to meet his cousin. They're going to be. They're they're going to be great. They're going to put Legos together. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and then Mary breaks out into a song, which I said last week was like, almost like a music. If you've ever watched a, mu- a movie and then it breaks out into like somebody starts singing, and you're like, oh, this is a musical movie. It's like, there's a different tone. There's a different change. I, I understand. I Here's the thing. I don't think that Mary... Actually, probably sang the song. I think that Luke wrote this song and put it in the words of in, in the mouth of Mary as he's writing a story. Not that he is making something up, but he's trying to tell a story a certain way. And when you're trying to tell a story a certain way, you leverage all kinds of different ways of doing it. Um, and, and so he wants to communicate something significant about the person of Jesus. And sometimes to do it, he does it in the words of a song because we all know. That words in a song can say things that we think of, but we would just never say them, which is why you as a husband have bought a CD for your wife at some point and given it to her and been like, Morgan Wallen says this, and I think it's about you, and it's from me, though, but he says it. So he says it better than I, he sings it better than I could ever say it. So here you go. This is from me, but it's really him. So... That, that I think is, is the part of why this shows up in a song. Mary sings this song using these words that speak on a cosmological level about what God is going to do through her and through the birth of her child in this, uh, in this next season of this. He's building a case for the uniqueness of, of, of who Jesus was. And I think in her story as well, or in her song, she's also like letting us know that what we have presented in the birth of John is categories of things that we know. He's gonna be like an Old Testament prophet. He's gonna be all of the things that we want it to be. He's gonna take a Nazarite vow. He's not gonna shave his his face. Um, He's gonna live in the desert. He's gonna eat weird things. He's gonna call people towards repentance. He's gonna baptize them in a river. These are all things that are extreme, but we have categories for them. And then, what Luke is trying to contrast is a Jesus who is a different sort of thing that we don't have categories for, a different type of person that goes beyond this. We know this, we're familiar with this. This is kind of extreme, but this is perhaps what we need as a nation. But then what's coming beyond this and behind him, what he's, what he is pointing towards, what he is, paving the way for, what he is preparing the way of the Lord for is something even greater than this, of which I think Luke is saying, I don't even necessarily have words to communicate what this is. I do think that Luke himself is working through this material, that he himself is trying to process, like all of the New Testament writers, who was Jesus really? What does his life mean to me? What does it mean for the world? What does his life, birth, Uh, his death, his resurrection mean on implications on how everything plays out on a cosmic level. I think Luke is trying to make sense of this. And I think he's doing this for either a person or Theophilus, the name that shows up in the first few verses could be the people of God, just the general people of God. I think he's doing this for a general audience to say, and this is important, I think Paul is doing this in, in all of the churches, trying to help make sense of what Jesus' life means for people. So his best, Luke's best way of doing this is I'm kind of working this out as I'm talking through this, as I'm writing this thing out. And I think it's best if I do this in song. Uh, it's just partly why Luke incorporates he's gonna do a couple of songs. There's gonna be three songs in total. We did one last week. We're gonna do another one today. And there's a third song that's gonna show up on Christmas Eve. We'll get to it and we get to it before we get too uh, far ahead of ourselves. Here's the remainder of chapter one, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. Great mercy—that word is going to be come back to several times in this last part of this thing—and they shared her joy. They had heard. They had heard for so long that she had not had been able to have kids, and now it's happening. And they're like, "This is—we uh, start with fear based on uh, you know at this age and all this stuff—and now it's 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 one of, of joy and and whatever." On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. This was kind of Jewish tradition. On the eighth day, they would circumcise the child. They would do it in a public setting. Uh, They would would gather people. In in, in this one, they're gonna name him after his father, Zachariah. They They had waited to choose to name the child until the day of his circumcision. They're basically throwing a circumcision party, which I've been invited to a lot of birthday parties. I've never been invited to a circumcision party. And for the record, I'm not interested. So save the invitation, but... This is when they were like, gather together. We're going to first cut off his penis in the parts of it, anyways, and then we're also going to name him. It's going to be a big deal. All right. Then they said they all assumed that they were going to name him Zechariah. Why? Because Zechariah is old, off aged, age, and this is passing out of his heritage. We, we, we're familiar with. Uh, fathers naming the, their sons or, or, or even wives their daughters uh, names after them to kind of carry on the lineage or whatever in this way. Uh, and so they just assumed it's going to be Zachariah. he's probably only going to have one kid. There's not going to be any more after this. Uh, and, and common tradition would be either the father or the grandfather uh, would be the first name of the firstborn son. Then secondborn, thirdborn could be anything, but beyond that, it works this. But the mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called. John. John, the word, the name means God is gracious. It sort of makes sense for them. Oh, he's gracious in terms of he blessed her in this old age. Uh, But it doesn't make sense because it's not any of the family members' names. It's clear at this point though, uh, because that's the name that the angel had presented to Zechariah in the middle of the temple that you're going to name your son John, um, that at some point Zechariah had had conversations or or communicated somehow with Elizabeth about what to name their child, probably through writing or, or whatever. But This is not a secret, and 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 so she says we're going to name him this. They said to her, "There's nobody among your relatives who has that name. That's not the father's name nor the grandfather's name. Are you sure you want to do this?" And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. That's cute, Elizabeth. That's fine, but let's ask Zachariah here what he wants to name the child. Um, And then in verse sixty-three, he says he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, "His name is John." Now. I do want to draw attention to one small thing here because I think it's important. When she is asked what they want to name the child, she says, his name shall be John. She, she does the more traditional, I get to name him or this is the, the thing that we're going with, um, his name shall be John. In this one, he his verb tense is passive on this. And I think Luke is trying to draw something out for us here. His name is already John. And in other words, Zachary's like, I didn't really even have an opportunity. I'm not choosing to name him this. This is just his name. This is what he is. Now, as a parent, like, you know, if you're, if you're expecting or have expected something, you know, uh, had a baby recently or whatever, you know the naming process is difficult. It's a big deal, but nobody's ever told you what to name their kid, what to name your kid. You get to do this, right? Uh, everybody's been asking you, and you, it's a big giant game. You have all ideas. You have a list that goes on. And he likes this one, and she likes this one, but we don't know what we want to do, and and and, uh, uh, and we're not going to tell anybody what it is. We're going to keep it a secret because we don't want anybody else to name their kid this kid, because then we can't do that, and they stole it from us. Uh, so it's a big giant game, uh, and. In, 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 uh, in, in that scenario too, you, the doctors or the nurses or whatever, look at you and be like, what do you want to do? You do? And, the, and they don't tell you uh, what, what it is. You have the authority as the parent to be able to make this thing happen. Um, that, 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 comes, that comes with the, the whole territory of being a parent, having that authority in this way, right? Um, my mother-in-law got a dog when London was three or four, somewhere around that age. And my mother, while I was in first service, and she can verify this for me, she got the dog, and uh, we were living with them at the time because uh, we had just started this church, and uh, we had moved back home and had not found a place yet, and so we were living with them temporarily. Uh, And so she brought this dog in, and she said she was going to name it Kia. It was a dash hound, a little red dash hound, and she was going to name it Kia Fancy. Kia, as in the car company? Fancy, as in not a Kia. Uh, But they... Put those two things together, which is a very oxymoronic thing when you think about it, um, and she tried really hard to name this dog Kia Fancy. And London almost immediately, uh, at that age, says, "Oh, that's fun! I shall call her Genevieve." That was that was what she declared. I shall call her Genevieve. She was watching some Disney show or something where the dog's name was Genevieve, and so she just started calling her Genevieve. Well as try as hard as Jennifer might to call this dog Kia Fancy, that dog became known as Genevieve. That, in, that dog now lives in my house and her name is still Genevieve. And she is still oxymoronic minus the oxy. She's a very moronic dog. Um, but that's how this naming thing it was very very clear like whose dog this actually was which is why we now own this dog whoever truly owns the dog gets the name the dog and in deferring the naming rights to his own son zachariah is making a concession this isn't just my child like something bigger is taking place this child is something other god's hand is on this child in a unique way and he's uniquely busted and he's He's mine, but he's not just truly mine. I think he's a blessing for the world, and God wants to do something significant in this. And immediately it says this, verse 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. And everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. I think this is significant because I love this part of the story because we know from Luke, as we said, he's a researcher. He says, I'm going to sit down and do an orderly account. I'm going to spend my resources and my talents and my time on earth to be able to give a best account of of what I know. So it's like, I went around and I asked people what they knew and what they remembered about Jesus. Where did he go? What did he say? What did he do? What kind of healings? What were some of his teachings? What were some of the common things that he talked about? And when I would ask them the question about, tell me about his birth. What do you know about his birth? Were there any things going on at the time about the significance of his birth? It's almost as if there was a large contingent of people saying, oh, I remember us. You're talking about 30 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever that was. There was a large discussion. There was a large talk going around town about a very unique, special birth story. But it would not be of Jesus. It would be of John's. I remember people, oh, I remember people talking about this older couple that had a baby and it was crazy. This would, that would have been the far more dominant birth story at the time. So perhaps because of that, Luke wanted to include this in it because he's like, this is what the talk of the town was at this moment in this, in this era. It would have been far more public knowledge. But Jesus, or, or, but Luke is, is very intentional to say, as much as a public priority was given onto John's birth at the very same time that that thing was happening, they weren't wrong that God was doing something that God was now at work, that God was, had ended his silence and that he was once again re-engaging with the world his, as his creation. They were just wrong about which child it was. There is a significant birth story in place, but that was just a foreshadowing or a foretaste of something bigger and better that comes through the birth of Jesus. So the last thing that I wanna talk about before I stand before you on Christmas Eve and read to you Luke 2 as we will in a couple of days at the end of that scenario, at the end of verse 66, when that says, the people started talking, they're like, what is happening? Something's going on here. This is significant. Zechariah, following in the footsteps of Mary, is given a song to sing. I think by Luke. I don't think that Zachariah also sang the song, but I think this is Luke's way of saying, working through this and saying, uh, this is what have been what was going on. This is, the, this is the state of things as they were. You have Mary's song, which contrasted, diff- again, one more contrast for him, we have the differences between the angels showing up and what they said and the responses. And then the songs that they sang, Mary sang this kind of a song, Zachariah sang this kind of a song. In Mary's song, it's very personal. Mary's saying, who am I that, that, that God would choose me? I'm, I'm a nobody of humble beginnings. I've got nothing, I'm poor. And it would be a, a song of the poor, as we said, and, 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 the contra- and, and all of those things in there. And then we have Zachariah's song. We're gonna look at Zachariah's song together to close out our time this morning. And there's two parts to this, and uh, you're going to see them on the screen. Um, And here's what I want to try and do, if you're okay with it this morning. If we were at a more uh, uh, mainline traditional church, um, a, a Lutheran church or whatever, this would be known as Zacharias Benedictus and it would be uh, read uh, during some sort of a scripture reading time. And there would be what's called a reader's theater sort of thing, where I read part of it and then you read part of it. Uh, And if you want to throw this up here, you'll see um, that we've got this kind of separated out. So all of the kind of normal text is my part, and then uh, your part as a group as a whole or at home, if you're watching this or whatever, would be this sort of italicized part. So if you're okay with it, and it, I know it's always weird. We've done this a couple weeks ago, and and uh, it, it feels mildly cultish, but that's okay. We're going to just give a free pass. It's Christmas. We're willing to take some different uh, you know steps and, and do whatever. Um, I'd like us uh, for us to participate in this. Um, so I'm going to start, and you can follow along. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people and redeemed them. Very good. Uh, As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. Yeah. Excellent. Nice job. So uh, see, only mildly cultish. If you're new, you're like, we are never coming back here again. (laughs) So weird. Promise I don't do this normally. Real quick, summary of this first part. What is he drawing into? He's drawing into the rich history of Israel. He's trying to say, he's talking about an oath that he made to, his, uh, to Abraham. Uh, he's talking about the holy prophets uh, of long ago, salvation from our enemies. He's talking about all of these things about promises that were made long ago that are, uh, are now about to be fulfilled in him. The time, there's, there's a message here of like, the time has finally come. The ice is melting, and God is breaking through history once again. He's about to do something here, like He used to do a long time ago, and He's going to come through on the promises that He made to our ancestors and to our heritage and to our lineage and to our people, about making us into a mighty nation. His his very first part that Luke wants to draw our attention to is He's making this going um, that this whole first part wasn't a waste that this speaks to a fulfillment that is to come, that Luke is trying to say, I think it's about to happen now, or I think it has happened through Jesus. I think that Jesus, his presence in the world is an encapsulation of all of that longing that we found in the Old Testament for a Messiah like figure to be able to come and redeem the nation of Israel. It doesn't look exactly like what we thought. There's definitely, it's definitely clear that they thought it would be more militaristic and that they would you know, not be under, subject to any other nations anymore. But Luke is trying to say, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the longing that we find in the Old Testament. It's a very Christian sort of um, uh, take on this, right? I mean, Zachariah's song is, is, is Christian in that way. But the ultimate thing too is uh, a reminder that God keeps his promises. All right, part two, here we go. We're going to do this one more time and you, my child, will be called a prophet. Now now he's, changed. first off, he's changed his perspective. I think now he's looking down into the eyes as Luke would have it drawing and painting the picture for us and writing the song. And if it was a painting, this would be him holding his child and looking into his, the eyes of his child. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Yeah, good. Only semi-weird that time. Um, Son, this child, you're gonna go, you're gonna prepare something for somebody that's gonna come, that's gonna be a light and a guide is gonna give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because they don't even know the distance of the goodness of what their path could be because they don't even know how bad they are. You're gonna give them an awareness of their sins that they don't even realize that they have because of the tender mercy. Again, this mercy, this word mercy is gonna be shown up of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those who find themselves living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide, look at this, our feet into the path of peace. What does Luke put into the mouth of Zechariah? An upright, humble, everything's good, blessed by God, doing great things, all the good things. He puts in the mouth of him a a declaration that there's something coming that is gonna be a guide and a light for people who are like me, who live in darkness without even being fully aware of it, who aren't even aware of our need for forgiveness. What Luke is trying to say, he's trying to preface the arrival of the Messiah as a savior for the world from a world who doesn't know it needs saving. He's inviting his audience to identify with that as well. Are we the type of people who are not even fully aware of the distance between what God has called us to be and what we are because of the darkness of our sins that we live with so much stuff. It's like, we think that we're okay or whatever. And then this is gonna be a rising sun, a light. Perhaps there is gonna be something so good. His goodness is gonna be so good that we'll finally realize how incomplete We actually are as a result of this. And he doesn't exclude himself. Zachariah goes, even somebody like me, who everybody would point to and be like upright, good, healthy, a model of society, a model of what it means to be a a God-fearer. And he, in in his own, the pronouns that he chooses to use for himself, includes himself in this thing. This is um, Lewis, C.S. Lewis would go on to write uh, a sermon called The Weight of Glory. And he would kind of typify this idea in in this text. It's gonna be on the screen for you. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We find ourselves to be half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. What Luke is trying to say is, Jesus is about to enter into a world that doesn't even know that they need him, who is content with sex and ambition and things and stuff and wealth and junk, and we're far too easily pleased with this stuff. We're, we, we find ourselves at, at some points dissatisfied with it. We find ourselves longing for purpose and meaning, and we, we just keep going and be like, well, I, I'm hurting, and, and I want. I'm anticipating more, and I just think it's going to be this, or it, it'll be. It, it's going to be fine someday. It's going to be fine someday. And there's an invitation into a brand new life, and into a new way of seeing things, a, a, a following a way of Jesus that is so good that it realize it makes us realize how shallow and broken we really are. That if we fully engage in the way of Jesus, we would realize our motives for the rest of our lives are, is oftentimes broken and incredibly selfish and incredibly egotistical and not at all what we want. And yet we find ourselves going, yeah, we're fine though. We're, we're, we're making mud cakes in, in, in the slums when we're offered a holiday at Disney World. And we're like, ah, yeah, overrated. I don't even know what that is. So I'll, I'll just write it off as dumb and, and overrated. This is, he's saying there's an advent of a Messiah who's showing up Luke is trying to say, and and before I get to it, you need to understand this was how the world existed. It's almost as if Luke is saying the one thing you need about God before I tell you about how Jesus came is that he's gracious and he's merciful. You need to know about the tender mercy of God who saw the broken ways of the world. And he could have taken a multitude of approaches in dealing with the world. In fact, as we see in the Old Testament, with a flood and with the Babel and all these kind of things, other approaches had been taken or were taken. And in this one, he says, in his tender mercy, he chose the first Christmas to send his son as a light into the world at its darkest time through the birth of the Christ child, which is, offers us hope. This is the hope that we've been waiting for, meaning purpose for our existence, for anything. May we not be the people who are too enamored or too satisfied with making mud cakes at the slums to not understand the beauty of what Advent is pointing us towards. That there is a third song to be sung. That when Mary's is kind of personal and about humble beginnings and all of this, and Zacharias is about a God who keeps his promises and a God who is, I'm gonna read that last part again to you. by which the righteous son will come to us from heaven to shine on us living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. God chose mercy and we have much to be thankful for. And there is a third song to be sung in this, but that is what we're gonna talk about on Saturday at three and five o'clock, if you'll make it. We'd love to have you. Luke chapter two, or you can read it for yourself. The song of the angel to the shepherds who are watching. So let's uh, uh, let's close this thing off. Let's pray, and we'll get you on your way. Father, our prayer is uh, that you would prepare our hearts, that as we recognize that Advent is is a season of walking through the desert, looking for uh, an oasis of hope, and that that hope is uh, founded on uh, what Luke would come to describe as the Christmas. Uh, story of the birth of, of the Christ, the star, and the, the the great pronouncement of the angels, that a weary world rejoices at the birth of its Savior, that there is reason to have joy uh, in, in the world or joy to the world, for the Lord has come. So I pray that you would continue to work in us in these next few days to realize that need, that longing, that that chasing that we have, and, and the fulfillment that can truly come once we once we realize where we're at, that the Advent helps us center us in that needing and in that longing for us to have joy this Christmas. Give us wisdom to know what that looks like in our life. I you to do something about it in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketraycities.com, or better yet, download our app, by searching Eastlake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.